Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 41, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Well, actually, let's back up to verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. And it came to pass when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, he, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the, bonder, the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied Peter, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee, and press thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all that the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was immediate how she was healed immediately and he said unto her daughter be of good comfort thy faith had made thee whole go in peace while he yet spake there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him thy daughter is dead trouble not the master but when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. When he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand, calling and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, um, thank you, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy for the amount of prayers that was answered that we've seen even in the beginning of this service, Lord, and that we faithfully and offer up more prayers before you, knowing that you're a God that answers prayers. Lord, I thank you for those who have arrived here this evening, uh, this evening fighting the cold, fighting illness, fighting everything else, to come and to gather together and feed from your word. Be with the teachers who are teaching next door, Lord, ministering to this up-and-coming generation of the Witten Place Baptist Church. We pray that if there be anyone lost in either building, Lord, that you will do the work that only you can do and save the sinner. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with me as I preach your word. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been reading through the Gospels here in my 
own private study. And as I arrived here in Luke chapter 8, there's just something that you can't deny as you read through the Gospels, and that is, it is better to stick with Jesus. By the time you arrive here in Luke chapter 8, we just seen in the previous chapter, the, the widow's son was healed. Jesus had just anointed the sinner. He, he healed the centurion servant. He continued to minister abroad. As he just arrived here on these shores, he had just uh, left healing the demoniac of Gadara. Now we see how he quieted the storm and then now we see this issue of blood that was healed in this woman and now we even see even further Jairus's daughter you can't get through the gospels the, and not see that it's the best place you could be is sticking with the Lord there's this uptick in this nation though that we'll even kind of see in the text here we see the uptick in our nation today that there is a in our nation today a group of people who proclaim to be healers there's a, in our nation today people who claim to be the messiah there's a video of this one man who in the Philippines who claims to be the actual son of God. They've built him a compound. They give money to him, and he's aging, preparing to do what? Die. There's this thought process, and we see this in our nation, and it disgusts so many people's minds towards the gospel. It disgusts people's minds towards religion, towards Jesus, towards faith. It, it tarnishes it here. Yet we see that in this time of Luke chapter 8, it's no different than the time it was then. It was a time of many wannabe messiahs. It was time of all of these wannabe healers. I mean, think about this woman's situation. Twelve long years, she gave all she had, all of her wealth, given into poverty, just desiring to be healed. We say, well, you know, if we were sick, it would be the same. But this lady, on the same side of it, there were people there arriving to her, telling her, I can heal you if you just give me this money. I can make you whole if you just give me this. If you just give me that, and literally taking her, taking her into a place of poverty. Both people in chapter 8 and the end of chapter 8, they are both in a position of desperate need. Jairus is in a position of desperate need, and so is this woman with the issue of blood. I think that, you know, when we think about this, that uh, when they had heard, I mean, think about even when we uh, preached on Acts chapter 5 about when uh, Gamaliel stood up before the crowd and he said, you know, there was this one named Thutis who raised up and people followed him. And then there was also Judas who raised up and people followed him. You know, I, I imagine that when the first thought or when the first hearing of this healer arrived on their shores, I wonder what went through Jairus's mind. I wonder what went through this woman's mind. Is this just another healer? Is this just another person proclaiming to be something who is not? I mean, imagine how we feel today if we was to hear that Benny Hinn has come to Cincinnati to do this great miracle. We would literally roll our eyes. Because we know the Son of God has already come. We know the Messiah's already come. But these people here were longing and looking for this Messiah. 
they were longing for the one who would be able to make them whole. So we see here with Jairus' daughter, this ruler in the synagogue, it was not just his daughter, it was his only daughter. Not only his only daughter, but she was 12. And not only was she suffering, but she had been suffering some time with a life-threatening disease, whatever it was. Matter of fact, the scripture doesn't even tell us. It just tells us she was sick and nigh unto death, and her condition was a condition that made the father and mother understand that they would soon be bidding farewell to their own child. Certainly Jairus being a ruler of the synagogue, as we see in verse 41, this ruler of the synagogue, I'm sure in this position of authority, many people looked to him, many people came to him, and I'm sure that he used every avenue that he could, calling in favors, come, please, see my daughter. But now we see that she's preparing to die. Verse 41 again, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying, but as he went, the people thronged him. You know, the first really takeaway from all of this in this portion of looking at Jairus's life and Jairus's daughter is that it doesn't matter what you are in humanity. It doesn't matter whether you're a child. It doesn't matter whether you're an adult. It doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Uh, nothing exempts us from trouble. Nothing exempts us from sickness. Nothing exempts us from death. Death takes whom it takes. It takes the young and it takes the old. It takes the rich and it takes the poor. It doesn't stop to take uh, your religious ID or to see what your earthly title is when it arrives, nor does it care about religious status. This is where Jairus was, forced to bear the reality of the same thing that we're all forced to bear, this thing called life. He was forced to face that nothing, even though the text calls him a man who was a devout man. He was not exempt from these troubles. He wasn't exempt from uh, the, the troubles and the woes of this life. He had done all that he could. He, he was a devout man, but these factors didn't stop his daughter from getting sick. This is the universal fact of life, right? Whoever you are, trouble knows your address, and before long, it'll be at your house sooner or later. So that's where Jairus is. He has found himself in a situation where trouble has showed up at his address, and before long, we'll all be there. We'll all find ourselves in a place where trouble will arrive at our address, the question is, how are we going to respond to life's traumatizing, traumatic woes that we experience? We just talked about this on Sunday night, about that God is working in our lives to bring about something for his glory. But this is more about the initial response when trouble shows up at 
the door. The right response is clearly to come when we find out Jairus makes a decision to stick with Jesus. He makes a decision to go to him. He makes a decision to fall down at his feet. He took his problem to Jesus. He came to Jesus because a need drove him there. I think that this is often the case in our lives. I don't think it should be the case in our lives. I think that, I mean, at salvation, we all find this thing that we arrive again, falling at Jesus's feet in desperate need of him, crying out to him, repenting of our sins and placing our faith in him. But it seems that after that, we, we kind of go into a, we arrive in a coast mode. And then it seems that our beeline to Jesus is when we are faced with gyrus moments in our life. And that our prayer life seems to get on point when something worries us, when something affects us, when something troubles us, when something vexes us. Then our prayer life is opened up. Our prayer life is in touch. Why? Because this is the trouble. It seems that we have a relationship with Jesus, not because we want a relationship with him all the time, but because we need him to do something for us. Matter of fact, that's exactly where this woman was. She needed something. She needed Jesus to do something for herself. This is where Jairus was. He needed the Lord to do something for him. He was in overwhelming need. One thing that I love about this situation is that they turned to Jesus. And though they had spent all that they had, though that they had searched other avenues first, Though they had looked for other resources and it failed, Jesus didn't have this attitude as you've searched everywhere else and I'm the last straw. They came to Jesus with an overwhelming need and Jesus did not turn them away. They came to Jesus. This is really like the climax of the chapter, really, in Luke chapter 8. As Jesus demonstrates his supernatural power, he demonstrates his sovereign authority over the affairs of this life. And that's what all of these really chapters, they really show us. I mean, to, to who else should we really turn in life? That's what this gospel shows forth. That Jesus is supernatural in power, supernatural in authority. He not only has power over nature, he has power over demons. Not only does he have power over demons, but he has power over disease. I mean, the supernatural power that is in Christ alone. This woman for 12 years sought to be healed, sought to find a cure. She was longing for hope and what could not be provided to her by all that, by giving all that she had was fixed by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. You cannot encounter the risen Christ and walk away the same. Matter of fact, if you even went back to the Old Testament, you cannot find anyone who encountered God and walked away the same. When Abraham encountered God, what did he do? It caused him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and move by faith. When Jacob encountered God, it changed his entire walk. When Joseph encountered God, it caused him to live a life of righteousness out before him. And so it has played out into the New Testament. When we encounter the living God for who he is, it should change our walk. The Hebrew uh, writer of Hebrews declares, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, for as much 
then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And this is really the wonderful news. I don't know if you understood what that was offering up to us. But what it was saying is that no matter what your problem is, <laughs> Jesus is going to have the last word. That's what it's saying. Matter of fact, that is what the gospel lays out before us here, even in Luke chapter 8, is that Jesus is going to have the last word. When you see here, when, and skipping ahead for a second here, in verse number 47, and when the woman saw that she had not hid, she came trembling and fallen down before him, and she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. This is a wonderful moment. Yet while he yet, while he yet spake, in verse 49, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue house, the synagogue's house, the saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Trouble not the master. It's over. It's done. Call it quits. It's time to walk away. Leave the Messiah alone. Leave the master alone. Leave the teacher alone. You're too late. Jesus says in verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, meaning heard that they were saying it was too late, he answered him saying, fear not. What do we do when disappointment speaks in our life? What is it when we are on the right course, on the right walk? Meaning, listen, Jairus was doing the right thing. He was walking with Jesus. He was with Jesus on the way to his home. Believe that Jesus could fix his problems. Believe that Jesus could heal his daughter. And yet in this very moment, disappointing news arrives in Jairus' life. And they say, leave him alone. The daughter, your daughter is dead. See, the world likes to put before us that it's disappointing news. It's too late. <laughs> There's no hope. This and that has gripped over them. And this is the disappointing news that Satan tries to use the world to introduce in our lives. When he says, this ain't going to get no better. There's no hope. But yet, when Jesus has his last words, he says, fear not. We may feel like a failure according to the world, but Jesus is going to have the last word on this matter. We may say that, well, death may take us, but remember... One day, God's going to tell his son to go, his son Jesus to go get his children, and death will not have the last word. Jesus will have the last word. Though illness may try to haunt us in this life, Jesus will still have the last word over this illness. It's how we must learn to understand the things that we experience in this life Though we're walking with Jesus, though we're walking with him on our way to our house, praying that God would do a mighty work in our home. 
Many of us here today, we have prayers for, if it ain't for our children, it's for our spouses, that God would do something and save them. But in the meantime, that while we're praying for God to do a mighty work in their life, when we get disappointing news, remember Jesus has the last word. When it seems like they're taking steps further away from God, remember Jesus has the last word. That he's the one in sovereign control. We must always approach disappointing news with the right heart. Verse 41. Again, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. Now, imagine this. They had just, Jesus had just cast out the demon, the demoniac of Gadara. He had just healed them. They had just passed over to the other side. The, the text here in verse 40 said that there was a crowd waiting for Jesus to arrive on the shore. This is what they want. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear from Jesus. They, they wanted more of Jesus. And after they had departed from this area and came over and landed near Capernaum, this crowd awaited, and yet it is kind of laid clear as you read the parallel passages that connect to this text here uh, about Jairus' daughter, that though there was this large crowd there, everybody knew about Jairus' situation. He was a ruler in the synagogue. They knew that his daughter was sick and nigh unto death, and somehow they had allowed Jairus to the front of the crowd to get to Jesus. Maybe it was respect of his social status. Maybe it was out of respect for his religious status. But listen, let me tell you, in Jewish culture, it would be normal to come up to them and maybe kiss them on the cheek. It would be normal to introduce yourself with your title. But when Jairus seen his Savior, when Jairus seen Jesus, it says that he went to Jesus and fell down at his feet. See, oftentimes we miss this great opportunity to embrace our Savior because when we arrive in the desperate need from the Lord, we approach him with our own title. Lord, this is what I've done for you. I've been faithful to you. I've offered up tithes to you. I've done all these things. I'm a member in a local New Testament church. And Lord, how could you not answer my prayer? Jairus was a devout man, a ruler in the synagogue. And where do we find him? Humbly crying at the Savior's feet. You see, there is a right attitude that we must have when we approach our Savior. There's a right attitude that we have, that we should have when we approach him in this time of need. Jairus' approach to the Lord was humility. It was dependence. It was submission. He, he cries out, my little daughter is at a point of death. Now, we say to ourselves here, 12 years old, but, you know, in, in society in their day, I mean, this, this young lady was on the verge of womanhood. I mean, not much longer she could be married. Not much longer than that she could have children. Yet, you can see the affection of this father. Though she's that close to what they would consider adulthood in their culture, uh, uh, able to be married in their culture, you can see Jairus' affection. 
And it would be the same for us to say, if our daughter was 25, if our daughter was 50, we would say, my little daughter, my little daughter, the affection, the love that he has for here, my only child is about to die. No cure for this disease had been found. Jairus and his wife had exhausted all their options to try to seek the cure for their daughter. Whatever sickness that she had that she had succumbed to in this moment. In fact, I guess you could say by going to Jesus for help. If you kind of place yourself in the narrative of this story and how this was unfolding. Jairus' daughter was preparing to die. And Jairus risked spending the last moments with his daughter alive to go find Jesus. He, in this last sliver of moment to be with her and be in her company, he set all that aside because in his heart and his mind, he knew he had to do something. He had to cry out for help. So he came and pleaded with Jesus to heal his daughter. The parallel passage in Mark chapter 5, it says, And he besought him greatly, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay, lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. In, in 524 of Mark, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. He didn't have to go. The Lord didn't have to go. But in this situation, the Lord had compassion upon Jairus to go to his house. This is compassionate love. And this teaches us something else really wonderful about this text. That with the right heart and with the right placing before Christ, before our Lord, Jesus has enough compassion to come to the place where you need him most. Regardless of our failures. Regardless that Jairus had sought many other places before. Regardless that this woman with the issue of blood had sought many other places before the Lord. Jesus still met her need. Jesus still met Jairus' need. And regardless of our failures, regardless of our mistakes in service to the Lord, he is still compassionate enough. He is still loving enough that when we give up burning up the world's resources, that when we have just humbly put ourselves before him, that he will come and meet us where our need is. This is a wonderful thing about our Lord. We see that story again in verse 41. I mean, imagine how this is laid out. The Jairus is right there on the shore. Lord, I need you to come heal my daughter. I mean, could we imagine this, this situation and maybe in a, uh, put yourself in a uh, hospital situation today that you're in room number 55, that you're, there's a person in room number 55 and that just happens to be your child. And the physician that can save your child's life arrives on the floor and you're saying hallelujah because the physician said, I'm going to room number 55 with you and I'm going to heal your child. Hallelujah. But as you're on your way down to room number 55, somebody comes out of room number 38 and interrupts Jesus, interrupts the physician to make it to number 55. 
Could you imagine where Jairus is as the Lord stops to encounter this woman with the issue of blood? I mean, wait a minute, Lord. There's no time to stop. My daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And then to only see that this woman with the issue of blood gets healed. And right after the woman with the issue of blood gets healed, someone arrives and says, you're too late. Who knows how long this encounter was between Jesus and this woman with the issue of blood? Who knows how far away Jairus' home was from this moment? And who knows the feelings and emotions that overcame Jairus in this moment? All we know is that while he yet spake to the woman, that someone said, leave the master alone. But Jesus said, fear not. The emotions must have been all across Jairus's face. But Jairus's daughter could die at any moment. We ask ourselves, why was, you know, I guess the carnal side of you say, quit wasting time. She had an issue of blood. You could have healed her after. My daughter, my daughter is about to die. She's had this for 12 years already. My daughter's only 12 years old. But really, when you look at this text, it seems like there was a teaching that the Lord was trying to show Jairus more about himself. Jairus, it does not matter whether your daughter is alive or dead. In me is the supernatural power and authority over all. Stick with Jesus. So even in this death, Jesus had the supernatural power of resurrection. And that's how we face death, is it not? This is what makes Paul be able to say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory, right? Because we understand that Jesus has supernatural power over death, which robs death of the sting it has. This is what the Lord is trying to teach Jairus. Jairus, stick with me. And I will give and I will show you the supernatural power that I have over this. Also notice that the steps of faith here that is happening for Jairus. So the Lord is never late. We know the Lord is always on time. And sometimes his, his timing is showing us something more about himself. And what he is doing here by stopping and getting this woman's confession of this miraculous healing. And stopping and letting Jairus hear the confession of how this woman was healed from this issue of blood was really the Lord offering a moment for Jairus to have his faith built even more. That God is working even when it's not in my home. We oftentimes find ourselves in a situation when when somebody has great news or when someone has, like, it seems a great miracle in their home, you know, the Lord still does miracles. And when they have a great miracle in their home or when someone has their spouse saved or when someone has their child saved, we step back sometimes and say, well, what about my home? I want a miracle in my home. I've been praying. Why does it have to be in their home? When is this going to happen in my life? And instead of taking that approach, the Lord cuts Jairus off from taking that approach and says, fear not. And we have to be cut off from taking that approach and say, hey, praise the Lord. He's still doing miracles. 
He's still saving. He's still working. Is it more discouraging to not hear about the Lord saving anyone or to hear that the Lord's still in the saving business? It's encouraging to hear that the Lord is in the saving business where it's discouraging. But what's the problem? We're like Jairus. We want the miracle in our home. We want the Lord to do the, the saving in our home. We want the Lord to do the healing in our home. And all the while, the Lord is saying, I'm still working. Fear not. Fear not. Only believe. Sometimes his timing is to show us more about him. But by stopping here, really, it was a faith-building exercise for Jairus. And while this faith-building exercise happened in Jairus' life, this woman was given the confession about how all this life, how the last 12 years she could not be healed, how she spent all she had, but now in this moment, she was healed. Also notice this in verse 49. And while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, the daughter is dead, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. I have a question for you. Was Jairus still walking with Jesus or not? He was. Which brings us to this understanding that just because we're walking with Jesus doesn't mean we always get the news we want. Just doesn't mean that. This wasn't the news he wanted to hear. This isn't what he was thinking that was about to happen. He, he, he wanted the miracle in his home. This was not unfolding the way that he imagined it. Why trouble the teacher any further? I mean, this rhetorical, these really two questions, these two statements that, made, that were made, the rhetorical question. First, this question is said, it was no longer necessary for Jairus to worry about Jesus doing anything at his house anymore. At this point, Jairus could... Just let go and go back about his business. There may have been many others that could have helped. Jesus could have helped if Jairus would just leave him alone now. Just leave it alone. No reason to waste his time. There was nothing else that could be done for Jairus' daughter. So don't trouble Jesus any further. Second of all, the statement that was made here in verse 49 was, Trouble not the master. Man, just don't bother Jesus any further. Just let it go. Be done. This is the advice from the world. This is the advice that the world gives us when it seems that things fall through and devastate us. See, I mean, you prayed to your God. You gave to your God. You served to your God. And look what happened in your family. Just be done with Jesus. Be done. I mean, you've been praying all these years and nothing's happened. You show up there week after week, raising your hands, crying. Nothing's happened. Just be done. Don't bother him anymore. Apparently, he's not hearing you. Apparently, he's not looking out for you. And yet in this same thing, in the same moment, the Lord says, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. The messengers both on both points had it all wrong. First of all, you'll never trouble Jesus when we bring our troubles to Jesus. 
right? I mean, that's what he teaches us in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not like the sorry friends of this life. <laughs> it, it was, I can remember back one day, my brother called me and he said, hey man, I really need to talk to you. Do you have a moment? It was in the middle of the night. He came over and he was, he was really upset. And I said, okay, let's talk. And he sits down with me and he starts to talk to me. And I went, no, I was out. You really, this is what you woke up for? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he was so frustrated. We laugh about it when we talk about it now. But that's not how our Lord is. He ain't fainting out on us. He's not irritated with us. He's not exhausted with us. He's not out of energy to spend time hearing our prayers, hearing our thoughts, hearing our burdens. No, his desire for us is to come. Come. Likewise, Jesus with Jesus, there is always hope. With Jesus, there is nothing too hard for him. The Lord is never too late. Matter of fact, David testified in the Old Testament in Psalms chapter 30 and verse 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. When things go from bad to worse, Scripture teaches us there is comfort and strength when Jesus intervenes. Jesus' two commands to Jairus was, um, fear not and believe only, and she shall be made whole. Jesus was there for Jairus when disappointment spoke, yet he still challenges even further. Jesus did not allow the bearers of bad news to have the last word. Having heard the report of the messengers, Jesus gave Jairus two commands. First, Jesus commanded him to not be afraid. When Jesus heard his daughter was dead, fear gripped him. Grief gripped him like never before. The news had sent Jairus into a shock. He was more afraid and sorrowful than he had been yet. Yet the Lord said, Jairus, fear not. In, in the Greek, this is in the emphatical form. It's almost like Jesus said, well, it is the emphatical form. And it is like Jesus said, Jairus, stop being afraid. It's emphasis. Fear not. This isn't like you shouldn't really worry. You don't really worry about it. Come on. I, no, the Lord commanded him, fear not. You have nothing to worry about. Realize who you're walking with. Realize who you're with right now, Jairus. Realize the testimonies from those who are around you. I have healed the sick. I have cast out the demons. And I guess that's the word for us tonight. Stick with Jesus and fear not. That's the command to us all. Realize who you're walking with. It may not be a miracle in your home today, but he's still doing miracles in people's homes. It may not be a miracle in your life, but it doesn't mean it won't eventually be a miracle in your life. And just because you walk with Jesus today doesn't mean you're going to get the news today that you want to hear just because you think you should hear better news when you're walking with Jesus. And yet the word is still, fear not. Recognize who you are walking with. Recognize the power that is in me. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. 
I think we oftentimes hearing the Lord telling us to fear not, only, only believe. Whatever disappointment we face in this life, Jesus says, stop being afraid and keep believing. What about when sickness hits our own? Fear not and keep believing. What about when you lose your job? Fear not and keep believing. What about when you face family problems? Fear not and keep believing. When help is delayed, fear not and keep believing. When you feel like giving up, fear not and keep believing. When death stares you in the face, fear not and keep believing. Keep believing when all hope is gone in spite of the mockers. And, and, and listen, the in Jairus' situation, there were people who were, when Jesus arrived in Jairus' house, there was a twofold situation. There was the people who were mocking, and there was the people who were mourning. People mocked when Jesus said, he's only asleep. There was mourners weeping over the loss of the child. But in this fold, there was only one voice speaking to Jairus, fear not and only believe. And this is what we have to keep the course even in our own lives. When there are people over here mocking our faith, when we're faced with tragedy, where's your Jesus now? We must hear the words of the Lord. Fear not and only believe. When there are people on this side mourning the loss and saying, this isn't what you deserved in your life, fear not and only believe. And yet we see here, and in verse 56, well, let's go back up to 54. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit come again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. I love verse 54, really. Because you had the mockers, you had the mourners. You had the people who said you're too late, but when the miracle arrived in Jairus' home, it was just him and Jesus. Regardless of what people want to say about the Lord that we serve, recognize this. In order for your miracle to come into your home, it ain't going to be the people who's mourning over your situation. It ain't going to be the people who's mocking your situation. It ain't going to be the people who's saying there's no help that's going to change your situation. The only one that can change your situation is Jesus. So stick with him. There's no reason to turn around or turn away. If you get through the Gospels and you don't have this overwhelming desire in your heart to stick with Jesus, read them again because you've missed the point. Verse 56, and her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should not tell no man what was done. In spite of the world's verdict, in spite of the messenger's verdict, in spite of the mourner's verdict, and in spite of the mocker's verdict, a great miracle had happened in Jairus' home. And yet, the Lord says, tell no man what was done. You know, there's things that God has done in our life. There's things that God has done in my life. There's things that the Lord has done in my own personal life that I don't need to run around bragging about telling everybody, you don't understand what the Lord's done in my life. There's things that's happened in my life where I sit down sometimes and say, it had to be the Lord. There's no way that this would have turned out this way unless the Lord had got involved. 
there was times where people said, do this and do that and try this and try that. And I sat still and I didn't even realize why I was sitting still. Yet it was the Lord keeping me still. And then we came on the other side of it and they said, how did you, how did you do that? I didn't. Did you tell him what I said? I didn't tell him what you said. Really, it was the Lord. Listen, in our own lives, the, the, the over, overwhelming confidence we have from the Gospels is that we have nothing to fear if we are just only believed. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the comfort we have just from reading your word. I thank you for this comfort that I have just knowing that you're sovereignly in control, that you're still doing miracles, Lord. And I still know that though you're doing miracles and though things in my life may not be where I want them to be, I still know that you're the answer for the issues of my life. And I wait for you, and I humbly cast myself down at your feet, waiting, Lord, begging you to intervene. Intervene on behalf of all of our prayer requests that was lifted up before us, Lord. This is why we gather together and pray over these requests, because we're falling at your feet, humbly begging you to answer our prayers. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.